This is Mona Tanja, president of NCSM, and welcome to Learning with Leaders, the Bold Mathematics Leadership Series. Join me as I sit down and have conversations with emerging and established leaders exploring equity in action. You will hear from bold mathematics leaders as they share their experiences and actions and what they have learned from them. We think these next few minutes will help you consider the bold actions that you can take to focus on equity and support those that you serve. Grab a warm cup of coffee and a journal as we learn together on our mathematics leadership journey. Hello, I'm Mona Tanchef. Welcome to the NCSM podcast, Learning with Leaders. John Sanjiafani and I are the co-hosts for the Bold Mathematics Leadership Series. To finish up the series, we have invited speakers to sit down with us and discuss what equity means to them and share with us their experiences and stories of leadership actions that support our journey as math leaders. We have with us today two special guests, Ishmael Robinson and Peggy Nayar, two mathematics leaders from St. Paul Public Schools. They recently had an article published on Edutopia and is titled Creating a Culturally Responsive Math Curriculum for the Elementary Grades. Ishmael is an educator, administrator, and civic leader with a passion for tackling the opportunity gap, especially in the realm of mathematics. He has over 20 years of educational experience, including teaching mathematics, being a school and district administrator, capturing and utilizing data on various research evaluation and assessment teams, and now leading pre-K-12 mathematics in St. Paul. Ishmael believes strongly in, in empowering educators through best practice pedagogy, engaging students through culturally responsive learning and utilizing data to drive instruction. Currently, Ishmael has begun work to implement a K-12 financial literacy scope and sequence and he firmly believes that building capacity in educators is the key to closing the opportunity gap. We also have with us Peggy Nayar. She's a teacher on special assignment as an EL math specialist with the St. Paul Public Schools Mathematics Department. Prior to her current role, she taught English as a second language for over 20 years in St. Paul Public Schools. So welcome Ishmael and Peggy. We are so happy you guys are here with us today. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for having us. You are welcome. All right, to get us started, we're just gonna kind of roll through some of these questions we have for you. And the first one, and I kind of answered it when I read your bio, but you guys can give me a little more detail around what's your current mathematics leadership role and a little bit about a background and maybe how you two have met and have worked together. Um, I'm the math supervisor for St. Paul Public Schools. We serve about 39,000 students and about 3,000 teachers in a highly diverse district. Wow. Um, I help about 1,200 elementary teachers and about 200 secondary teachers and about 200 administrators teach mathematics. Um, I also work with Peggy and I have a team of about uh, seven coaches that work at different levels throughout the district. And Peggy's specialty was ELL and we worked together in the middle school. And I knew that there needed to be more um, professional development, more awareness, more understanding with the correlation of ELL and mathematics. So Peggy started um, the effort of stepping out as an ELL teacher, teaching ELL and math at the same time. And throughout that process, she had some noticings and understandings, and I'll let her elaborate on those. 
I would say he was my boss. He was my assistant principal, and I was, uh, you know, mostly focusing on um, English uh, kind of skills, English language arts for EL learners. And he came in and said, "Why can't you teach math?" And I didn't really have a good answer for that, except that I didn't want to, and I was afraid to. And he said, we need other voices. We need to know people who have these kinds of relationships. If they can do it, you can do it. I'll help you. And indeed he did. And uh, I got to where I actually liked teaching it. And uh, he was really helpful to me. And it kind of felt non-threatening to have him coming in. And little by little, um, it evolved. Um, over the course of quite a few years, I guess. And uh, then I was fortunate to get a position within the math department. And we're really fortunate because I think we're really fortunate to have such a diverse student body. And we're really fortunate to be led by someone, honestly, who really wants to hear those voices in all of our classrooms. Uh, speaking of that, Peggy often asks me, why do I want her working with me? And I basically explained to her that the way we teach mathematics, one third of the learners get it and understand it and it's delivery. That leaves about two thirds of the learners not connecting with mathematics. So I tried to express to her several times that your perspective and how you think about mathematics is way more important than the small perspective I see all the time. So I must tap into you and help understand what you're going through and what you're thinking. And that's going to help a lot of our learners and a lot of our teachers. So that's ultimately where we landed. Um, on a personal note, you know, um, a lot of my passion for this work comes from where I come from, which is Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You know, I was a chapter 220 student, which meant that I was bused from my neighborhood in the inner city to suburban schools that had a different world for me. Um, I lived in the 53206 area code and that area code, it was literally the most incarcerated area code in 2016, which 62% of black men were or had been incarcerated at some point of their life. Um, those racial and financial inequities I experienced in my school years helped influence me and advance personally and professionally. Um, when I was interviewing for one of my first jobs, I didn't think I did that well in the interview. And the supervisor said to me, he said, you know, one thing you bring to the table is somebody who struggled. And he said, I have a very small percentage of my staff have struggled, but yet you have persevered. So he said that that um, perspective, that experience speaks well to many students that exist in his classroom. And at that point, I believe that my, my uh, beliefs in education were set and um, ready to be launched. That's awesome. I'm going to pass it to John, but I just wanted to say I read uh, when I read your article that came out in Edutopia that your story itself is what sold me on asking you to be honest today because I was like, I really want to know more about you, you nor know more about your story um, because as you described in the opening, 
just really believing you believe in others and you serve others and build their capacity. That was the story you were talking about, Peggy. So I just want you to know that's really, that really hit me hard, kind of like the, the heartstrings a little bit, because that's what I love about education is it really just empowering others. Mm-hmm. So, right. And, you know, and it gets into the question that I want to ask that we've been asking all of our, our guests. But before I do, the series is about equity in mathematics, and we want to hear your story and learn about your work. Um, but before we dive into that, though, um, tell us, what, what does equity in mathematics mean to you? Uh, I would say the term equity means to me, which is providing people with what they need based on their situation. Um, having the quality of being fair and impartial, but also being fair and just. So in mathematics, we often see the same type of people being elevated in the field. And um, for example, um, it's usually hiking by white males, you know? And I always tell people personally, I've learned more from women in mathematics and like people of color like that's all I run into so you know I like almost everything I've learned is from a woman in mathematics I've had women mentors I've had all kinds of women guide the way for me but at the same time I know that that is not the typical um demographic that is being hiking in mathematics so we want to reach out to those people who could be good at mathematics, but yet they don't get the opportunity. Um, I think that, you know, sometimes mathematics can be caught in like gatekeeping. And when I first learned, you know, about my job in deep detail, when I got into this role, um, one thing that stood out to me is I could no longer say I'm good at mathematics. Because what you're doing with that type of statement is you're making it seem like you have this power or this gift. And that really discourages people that I have to motivate and that I have to teach. So I don't believe that that is what you have. I believe if you're interested in it and if it's presented to you in a way that's appealing and fun, then that's what is going to clean you and grab you with the subject versus having this gift or this skill um, person. Awesome. It, I sort of resonates with me this idea around what you described equity of giving students what they need to support them. Um, the other thing I wanna highlight what you said was the importance of how you talk about mathematics, um, making sure that you're using language that makes it accessible and that people see themselves in the mathematics. And that brings me to my next question. So I'm gonna read a statement from your article. You had stated, there is no single off the shelf curriculum that addresses the very needs and interests of student population that's 31% Asian, 26, 26% black, 21% white, 14% Latino, 1% indigenous, and 7% ethnically missed. I'm assuming that's your district demographics. So if there is no single off-the-shelf curriculum, what actions did you take to find a curriculum or create a curriculum that does meet the needs of your students? 
Well, I've always been um, thrown this question, um, whether I was a coach, uh, assistant principal, a principal, et cetera, is everybody wanted that magic bullet uh, curriculum that solves everybody's problem at one time. And I knew serving in those different roles that that doesn't exist. So, you know, we basically came up to the conclusion as a district that a package curriculum would not meet our students' needs. Um, I had to come up with a better plan. Um, who knows the students better than their teachers? You know, so we basically said it's time to determine that St. Paul teachers would write a curriculum for St. Paul students. Um, my team was very enthusiastic. The teachers were very excited um, about this venture. Um, and in about 2018, we extended that invitation to them to write curriculum over the last three months of June. So we would literally have like one day off and go to writing, you know, right at the end of the month, to the end of the month. So the response was very positive. Um, teachers were very excited. Um, we had about 30 teachers working to build that curriculum initially through like a vertical team alignment. And I knew we were on something special when the teachers were saying, I can't wait to teach this. So if teachers are saying that they wanna go back to work in the, toward the end of June to teach, I was like, that's something special because that would be the last thing I would wanna do. So that momentum really got us excited for the year. So throughout the following school year, we gave like an introduction to staff saying, here are some of the changes we made in each area. And we created like a feedback loop. So everybody had a chance to elaborate or add to it. So our curriculum writers saw significant improvement in student participation and achievement on top of, you know, what they experienced in the summer. So more teachers wanted to join, including specialists. So the following year, we brought in some EL teachers, some specialists. We even brought in pre-K teachers. We had teachers all from everywhere just jumping all over us. So we adopted more of a like task, question, and evidence type format that we use to have high floors and low ceilings with, I mean, um, low floors and high ceilings with students. And then the following year, we added uh, culturally re relevant topics with themes of social justice. So what we noticed was once we got everything rigorous and in this original form that we needed that next layer so we immersed ourselves in a lot of literature from Gloria Lassen-Billings and Zaretta Hammonds. And Lassen-Billings gave us the why um, we need to do this work. And Hammond really clarified um, the how to build some of the things to basically create independent learners. So we use a combination of those researches to come up with this approach of financial literacy uh, through a social justice lens. And I'd like to add to that experience because my first year coming into that summer writing, I came as a writer. So school has been out for two days. I'm tired. 
I'm wanting to be done with school and now I'm going to go to a workshop through June 30th and I'm hot and we're not in an air conditioned building and we're with these teachers and little by little we're allowed to explore any topic we want and we're talking uh, topics and what would be into what would be a good way to reach this and what would be a good way to do that and what what would that cover and Ishmael was like go for it go for it and honestly I truly I was one of those teachers along with the other ones I could not wait to go back and teach those units I could not wait I was like a religious convert um, and I did have I was in a, a urban junior high with some of the kind of background you might expect and not always uh, I guess we would have we would say reluctant learners coming and they could not get to math class fast enough and they were the voices in the room and I was telling everyone I knew about it I was so proud of kids it, it just the whole year up until we hit the pandemic um, it was just for me a fantastic um, it was really a life-changing as an educator experience and it, that that momentum just grows upon itself. I just want to, I want to highlight, like, first of all, I love the story, but it's clear that this wasn't something you just said, well, we're going to just do this tomorrow. Like you had a clear vision, you know, the, the stuff that you were currently, that you were using for your curriculum, wasn't working for kids. Like that we need to find something more accessible for our students, more engaging, you know, and it was like, you had, I heard you talk about multiple year plans. Um, and the fact that you could connect the work back to the why right? That is, I mean, that's in the framework for leadership in mathematics education, like knowing that purpose and why you're doing things is really important. Um, but I, I just, I think it's really important for math leaders to understand that this, things like this don't just happen, right? That you have to be intentional about the actions you take each year. Yes. Over time, it was, it was a long grind and um, we, we knew where we wanted to go. So that was helpful. And like Peggy said, when teachers saw students reacting in such different ways based on the delivery of the information, that, that was a huge hook. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so you know, you leverage financial literacy, the curriculum framework for culturally responsive mathematics. And you know, tell us about how those students respond, um, why financial literacy works so well, and then um, you know, there there are conversations about financial literacy and and, and misconceptions about it. So we'd love to hear what you, you perceive to be misunderstandings or what's misunderstood about financial literacy. So we initially started with um, some lessons with a social justice themes and we had a lot of different topics. But then somebody said to me, what do we want students to walk away with at the end of the day? You know, so I began to ponder that question. And there was many topics we covered but social justice things that intersected the challenges that people of color face every day in the United States was the angle that we wanted to go. So as we develop our curriculum, we, we asked ourselves, what do we want kids to walk away in this Twigtail Swiss system? And at that point, we decided we wanted our students to be financially literate. We felt that that was something that they can take and they'll change the rest of their lives. We also felt that all kinds of students need that type of information. And something that I found that is often misunderstood about financial literacy 
is that there are structures, there, there aren't like structures in place where kids get this. You know, many people do not become financially literate until they are faced with some kind of financial challenge. And once students leave our K through 12 system, the likelihood that they will learn this information is diminished. So this resonated with us to include this information in our students, not in a specific course, but as part of our framework of um, our K through 12 experience. Ishmael, or not Ishmael, sorry, Peggy, did you want to add anything about the, like, what do you notice in the classroom when kids are engaged in tasks around financial literacy? I just uh, would reiterate uh, what Ishmael said, and the engagement from students was the highest. I mean, I've been teaching a long time, and kids can relate to money, and urban children come from families where they talk a lot about finances, and so, uh, for me, any kind of increased participation, right? I'm a language specialist, so I always want them talking. And then that helps me to know what gaps maybe I need to try to help fill in along with the math content teacher. Um, so I would say that we found engagement to be a, really at an all-time high. And we sent letters home. We have teachers send letters home at the start of every unit. So they know the math skills that are coming up and then the topic as well. And I really found with my seventh graders that parents were very likely to say, your teacher said she was gonna be talking about building uh, that wall in Mexico. Well, what did you learn about? What about the cost of that? Well, where would that money come from? Or, oh, you're talking about um, food deserts and where are the grocery stores? And how, did you look at the cost of the groceries? And, you know, you we need to have these conversations and then kids would come back and they would talk with each other about what they talked about at home and they could share it with the class. And it was um, a learning moment for me for, I was always in a co-teaching math situation um, when I wasn't in self-contained EL classes, but for, I, I'm just trying to say that for the adults in the room, I think we were learning as much about our students as our students were learning about the content. And then that just made us better teachers. It, it gave students, which Ishmael often says is we want all the students to have a voice. Mm -hmm. And then those kids, they know more than me about things. They know they're, they're telling me something and I'm I'm truly like interested in what they're saying and kids know when you're faking it. Urban learners know. Absolutely. You're going to be the white woman in the room. You know, you just say when you don't know something because they're going to know when you're faking it. So, you know, yeah. be yourself, be authentic. Um, but um, so I think I'm repeating myself here, but I, I would say participation was at an all time high. Kids can relate to financial things. They want to know about money. Uh, I would say, you know, as a former secondary teacher, you are always faced with the question, why are we learning this? And when you have these type of themes that they're seeing on TV that they're experiencing every day, it automatically fills in that, that question and kids buy in a lot more when it's displayed in that way. So based on the experience that you guys have done over the last several years, um, building this curriculum, what tips would you offer to other math leaders looking to either build their own curriculum um, or do something similar to you? 
as well as, you know, how do you advocate? How are you an advocate for culturally relevant curriculum in districts? What would be some like top three to five tips that you could give other math leaders? Uh, for the advocate point, uh, we feel that we're always looking for family involvement, ways to build relationship, lifting students' voices, culturally relevant topics that relate to financial literacy helps transform our neighborhoods into communities. And that's very important, especially during these times. We just don't talk about these topics. We engage in actions with the families in the schools. And when teachers see this increased engagement, especially from the students who have been disenfranchised from the system and results, that's when you get like buy-in from the, from the people. Um, as far as being a leader, um, things to design uh, cultural development topics, you know, and resources, uh, we don't just like point out problems. We, we, we use culturally relevant and financial literacy topics that are not about just deficits. Instead, they help the students move toward action and we want to move people towards solution. This type of instruction requires teachers to have a high expectations for all their learners. And the teacher is a more of a facilitator delivering content to students from all kinds of angles. Um, as student participation increases, students know that they have brought something meaningful to the math learning environment versus just sitting there and receiving information from the teacher. So those are some tips that um, I would share with people um, that we have noticed that would really um, build that momentum within their district. Do you have any tips? Do you have anything that they should be, how should I say it, on the lookout for, be prepared for, any challenges, oh. setbacks, or barriers they might need to keep in the back of their, their mind moving forward? Yep. So one of the most common ones that we always talk about is when you do this work, um, sometimes you're gonna get the phrase that this is going to traumatize our students. And um, what we have noticed is the topics usually cause traumatic triggers for the people who have to deliver the information more so than the students. Um, because you're going to be taken out your comfort zone. So I, what I like to say back to people is you being a white educator telling these students what to do all the time is more of a traumatic trigger for students, you know, but there's a place for that. You have to give direction, et cetera. So therefore, we can't pick and choose what we feel is traumatic for students just because it's harder on us. Um, we must do what's best for students and fight through that uncomfortableness because what we deliver as our curriculum sends very strong messages of who they are or what they will become. Yeah, one thing you're you're describing is this idea of vulnerability, which if anybody listens to this podcast, they know I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. Um, but that's what has to happen for us to really meet the needs of our students is we have to be vulnerable to try something new, do something different, 
Um, I've been uh, reading a, uh, the book called Street Data. I don't know if you've read it, um, but in there, and I know there's other, other people that have talked about it, is the idea of being a warm demander. And that's yeah. exactly what you are describing in terms of what your, what your teachers are doing is they're setting high expectations for their kids and they're helping them get there, which is just an awesome, awesome story. So, and one thing I want to add too is um, one of the beginning parts we use is we want teachers to think about what do they want students to learn? Mm -hmm. And then teachers can take a look at for example, their scope and sequence to build on what they know about their students and then think of how they can take those issues and things that they wanna to face to build rigor. Um, I, we use like a teacher survey to um, engage and ask information from the students and that really encourages and builds relationships between the students and the teachers because we want stuff to be real and relevant to their students and teachers need to take, you know, high cognitive tasks and vary them in very rigorous instructional deliveries to make this happen. You can have the greatest curriculum in the world, but how you deliver that information is key. So those would be some other things that um, I would say that will be helpful if they wanted to start the process in their district. So I, I love that. I have one last question for you today. And, you know, as you're sharing right there, you talked about serving students and getting info, uh, information or insights from them. Um, have there been other ways or are you considering other ways to um, incorporate student voice into the design revision or, or, you know, moving forward as a whole? Well, a lot of the stuff that we do is um, inquiry. So we encourage teachers to bring back those anecdotal evidences and those like those experiences so that we can help share that with the community and other teachers. So we, we often have, we have like a cohort system where we're meeting with every teacher throughout the district as they kind of work with this as like a cycle so we collect information through those formats to make what we're doing, you know, better and to tweak it. So that's something that we felt that was important is when you do stuff like this, you have to keep it new. So how do you have layers built in place to um, make updates as you go? So that's how we would make those adjustments because it's, Building curriculum is like writing a draft for a paper. You know, you're never done with it and you're always making edits and coming back to it. <laughs> yeah, that's a sad thing. Something life. here um, is that um, something that I really like that Ishmael um, really started hitting home with in the aftermath. You know, George Floyd was from the Twin Cities, uh, Dante Wright, Jamar Clark. We had a number of men. We had a St. Paul employee, Philando Castile who was killed uh, by police is that it's okay math teachers to stop everything. It's okay to stop where you are in your curriculum and let your students talk. And once they talk and find ways to process these emotions, now let's go back and look at it through a mathematical lens. So after the insurrection, for example, at the Capitol, 
we had a lot of students talking about hypocrisy and anger and frustration. And Ishmael said, now let's go put some numbers behind that. And students were coming up with how many people were arrested at a Black Lives Matter protest and how many or few people were arrested in the immediacy of the insurrection. And then they were uh, learning to use math, not only to understand this social event, but that they could use it and apply it in any social event. So I really think that it's a financial literacy lens, it's a social justice lens, and it's always a mathematical lens. So I think it was really good for our teachers. And I think teachers need to hear it because they're under a lot of pressure to get through a curriculum, to get through something, but to hear a supervisor saying, it's okay to stop where you are in trigonometry right now and talk about, find out what's happening with your students. It just builds your relationships and students will get back to that trigonometry for you. This is what we found in St. Paul. Yeah, absolutely. We teach students, we don't teach, we don't teach content. I mean, we teach content, but our goal was to teach students. And so that mm -hmm. their, 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 rea their reality has to be part of our everyday experience as well. So I just wanna say thank you guys for sharing your story. You, you have, I'm going to take lots of notes when I listen to this again, just around just the intentional actions you, you both took to get where you're at today. And so just, I, we really appreciate your time and, and energy and passion towards mathematics and hope that this story will kind of spark some curiosity in others. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Be well. All right. We hope you have been inspired by this bold mathematics leadership conversation and will tune into our podcast series each month. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. You can learn more about NCSM Leadership in Mathematics Education and our upcoming professional learning events on the NCSM website at mathedleadership.org. You can also follow NCSM on Twitter at mathedleaders using the hashtag NCSMBold. Thanks again.